Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Millie Hill, who is a UK author focusing on women's issues such as birth and uh, women's reproductive health. She's got several books out there and they've all done very well. One will be released in a couple of weeks here and you can pre-order that if you are so inclined. It's titled, and this is not necessarily a topic that I would ever think of writing about myself, quote, my period, find your flow and feel proud of your period, end quote. That is a book aimed at prepubescent girls to give them a positive understanding of what it is to deal with that part of being a woman. Some months ago, she got into a uh, disagreement about what it means to be a woman in one of these various social media environments, and she was very intensely canceled and hounded for months on end. And... Some weeks back, she decided that enough was enough, and she wanted to speak out about her side of this story and the way that she's being treated within the birthing community, within this community that is for and by and about being a woman, which is now trying to be inclusive of other things than a woman. You know, it's a nuanced topic, more or less, but her treatment is, I don't think, warranted whatsoever. I have her on. You can listen to her story yourself. She's great and has a lot of insight into this issue of being a woman and and giving birth and uh, all the stuff that comes with that. So do check out her books. Links are in the description. Without further ado, here is Millie Hill. There's a lot of issues, but we can just concentrate on the ones closest to home, or we can talk about your actual work and what you would rather be doing rather than being canceled or whatever, Hmm. whatever you think would be best to get out there and then to explore. Well, I'm happy to talk about whatever you like, really. I mean, you know, up to you. It's, it's been actually really um, good to talk about what happened in November in many ways. For me, I found it quite cathartic because I haven't talked about it since. So to suddenly um, feel free to talk about it and to share some of my thoughts on it, is quite nice. <laughs> what changed that prompted you to allow yourself to speak about this, speak it openly? Um, I think it was kind of a gathering of momentum, basically, in the, you know, in the zeitgeist, um, basically seeing people like uh, the Maya Forstarter ruling. Um, I know you've had her on the podcast, haven't you? Um, and when um, she sort of won her case, I think that was a quite an important moment. Um and then uh, there was an essay written by Chimamanda Adichie, which um, she's a, a novelist, an amazing novelist. Um, but she has uh, been cancelled for saying that trans women are trans women. 
Um, so she wrote this very beautiful essay um, entitled It Is Obscene. And what she was really addressing was not the issues around her views necessarily, but, you know, the entire sort of atmosphere that we're living in at the moment um, and how people can try to bring you down for your opinion. Um, and I thought it was really beautifully done, obviously, because she's a great writer. <laughs> um and then the next thing that happened was Jess Walls. Have you heard about what happened with her? No. Who's that? Um, she's she's a, a embroiderer. She's an artist um, who makes beautiful embroidery, um, and she um, had she makes these amongst other things. She makes these patches which are just like floral. You know, they're like you iron them onto your clothes, and they're just different beautiful flowers. And they were stocked by the Royal Academy um, in their shop. And the Royal Academy um, got wind of something that she'd written a while back where she talked about her own gender critical views. And she's a very interesting woman because she's she's, you know, she's from a, uh, East Germany background. She talks a lot about the, her experience of, you know, the Stasi and her, you know, what she's seeing reflected in what's happening now. Her father is, I don't want to misquote um, her here, but as far as I understand it, you know, her father is sort of like sometimes cross dresses. She's, she's grown up in a very sort of um, liberal um, household. She's very artistic. She moves in very sort of artistic, uh, free thinking circles. So she doesn't fit the mold that people necessarily want um, someone who speaks out about um, gender to fit. Um, and she's quite young as well. And so when the Royal Academy found out that she'd written this essay about gender, a gender critical um, perspective, they said they weren't going to stock her patches in her in their shop anymore. Um, and she got wind of this through social media. Uh, in fact, they did an Instagram uh, story about it, I think, which was very ill-advised. Hmm. And there was a really big outcry here um, about it. And she was on all the radio stations, all the TV channels and all the newspapers and the Royal Academy didn't say anything for about four days. Um, they didn't go on any program or make any statement. And then they just apologized. So I thought that was amazing. <laughs> when I heard that they'd apologized, because I was following her story really closely, uh, that, was a, that was the final sort of push for me. Because that... I just felt like I want an apology too. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got one though. <laughs> it seems, well, if the same thing happened in Canada and it has and it continues to the media doesn't say anything about it so Britain or UK media at least is now playing game and uh, opening up mm. these stories of cancellation so yeah I think it is opening up I mean you know on Women's Hour we have a program here on Radio 4 every day at, um, in the morning called Women's Hour and they had uh, a discussion about um, Laurel Hubbard, the um, weightlifter, um, on that program uh, two or three weeks, well, three or four weeks ago, which I also thought was quite, that was another thing that kind of I thought, wow, this was a, it was a really open discussion. And the journalist um, really challenged uh, the person that they had on who was defending the decision to allow um, Hubbard to compete as a woman. So I thought even that was, I was quite shocked by that because it seems to be that, you know, like you say, things are opening up and people are more able to kind of challenge some of this, um, some of these ideas. So There's a pretty amazing pedigree within Britain of feminism. Feminism actually 
I think it even kind of started there in a sense. I mean, there's probably a, there are strains of American feminism and UK feminism that are different, but it's kind of a longstanding tradition uh, amongst the female Brits to stand up and uh, speak their mind on things. Yeah. Um, there's a huge movement in the UK right now of, um, of feminism. And it's actually, you know, I felt like I really wanted to be as a feminist, I've always been a feminist, you know, but seeing um, women really standing up and being counted, you know, woman after woman after woman, I thought, you know, I, I kind of want to, I, I felt, you know, I know people have said since I told my story, oh, you know, you haven't been silenced, you've been in the papers and this kind of thing. It's like, well, actually, I did feel really that I had been silenced for a long time. Um, what happened when I got attacked online, it was like last November. So it's quite a long time that I've just been kind of pottering along, trying to keep a low profile and not saying anything. And all of that time feeling quite afraid, um, you know, that I was going to get attacked again. Um, it's a horrible feeling. Um, and I hate this, I hate the idea of not having a sort of full freedom of speech, you know, like literally every day thinking of thoughts and thinking, I'd like to write about that. But then thinking, oh, I can't really write about that, you know, I'm <laughs> just, mm. it doesn't feel, um, you know, it doesn't feel right to be living your life like that. So it's actually quite nice to just open up and say, yeah, I've got stuff I need to say. <laughs> I read your write up and we should at least uh, speak to the audience about what's going on. But the treatment that you received in this Instagram space, at least, and on Facebook too, is just, it's beyond the pale. I, it, it's just, it's really shocking, even though I've been following this stuff for years now, but I'm always shocked at the, uh, how low people will go and how hysteric they will get, um, for the sake of peace or goodness or justice or whatever, they get really, really antisocial and unjust in their behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I was called literally every name under the sun. And I think one of the things that's important to highlight about what was happening then is that the people who were doing all that attacking aren't, were not um, strangers, complete strangers. Um, these were people from what I call the birth world. So um, certainly in the UK, you know, there's a, there's a, I'm very well known in the birth world because I've written two books about childbirth. Um, and I've, you know, run an organization for nearly a decade um, I know all the doulas, the hypnobirthing teachers. I've been to loads of maternity conferences um, and met all these people. Um, uh, I don't necessarily think that I've met the people who were saying some of those things about me, but certainly everyone knows who everyone is kind of thing, even if it's just an online relationship. So it wasn't like sort of weird keyboard warriors, um, you know, in their, in their mum's spare room who were sending me those messages. These were people who are birth professionals, uh, breastfeeding counselors, doulas, and that kind of stuff, which I think makes it even more shocking because it's meant to be this kind of caring profession where, you know, you're, you know, you're looking after women in labor and to be, to be sat there writing these kind of really acidic things about another human, you know, even if you disagree with my position, I still think it's horrific that you would try to sort of I don't know, it's just so destructive. Um, the paradox destructive of tolerance. Uh, people um, can become incredibly intolerant when they perceive somebody else uh, being yeah. intolerant. It's a really interesting. I mean, I know that you analyze this a lot in your podcast, but I mean, you know, one question that I wonder sometimes is what is the end goal? 
um, you know, if I am got rid of and anybody else who has a view that these people disagree with is got rid of, then what are they what are they trying to move towards? Do they think that there's going to be some kind of utopia at the end of that where everybody's in harmony and agreement and all the baddies have kind of been slain? <laughs> I just hmm. I find it very sort of hard to understand what they what their sort of aim is really i don't know whether you've got any thoughts about that well it's centered in language at least with the what you call the birthing world and uh women's women's use of language to describe themselves is being tooled with it has been tooled with uh in the halls of academia and then those ideas have gone into these various different domains in the professional world among them the medical field and then also the birthing field which has mm -hmm. come down or manifested through new language codes we're going to rewrite what we're going to call a woman a woman's not a woman anymore a woman's a birthing person or what we're talking about isn't the female we're talking about that entity who may be female but is giving birth at that moment and, and stuff like that. And so what was your, yeah. what, what did you say that was so bad? Um, well, <laughs> it was so sort of um, obscure in a way that some of your listeners probably won't even understand what, what I was talking about because I was talking about something called obstetric violence, um, obstetric violence. Um, you know, my second book, um, which is all about why birth is a feminist issue. A lot of it is about obstetric violence, basically obstetric violence is, um, a, a posh word for bad stuff that happens to women when they're having their babies. Um, it sounds like it's, um, an obstetrician wielding an ax or something, which is why it's a bit of a stupid, Hmm. One could argue it's not the, the most helpful term, but it is the term that's been chosen. And that's the, the words that are used to describe any kind of um, disrespect, um, unkindness, lack of consent, um, you know, lack of respect for body boundaries, all of these things that happen every single day to women when they're having their babies. So the, the thing that I got in trouble for was somebody had done a post about um, obstetric violence. And actually, as it happened, it was the International Day to End Violence Against Women. Um, and uh, they hadn't done the post on that day, but it, that was what the day was. And someone had um, obviously, perhaps because it was the International Day to End Violence Against Women, someone had seen this post and they tagged me in a comment on the post saying, oh, look at this. And the post had a number of slides in it. And some of them did mention women. Um, but one of them talked about um, obstetric violence being part of power and patriarchy. And then it said um, the birthing person is seen as the fragile sex. And that jarred with me because I thought, hang on a minute, <laughs> you're ignoring um, a lot of, you know, feminist discourse here when you're talking about the fragile sex. Um, and this is what my book is about. It's about how, um, you know, patriarchy and misogyny plays out its power games in the birth room. So this whole idea of women being fragile sex, that belongs to a whole section of, you know, feminist thought. Um, and then putting the idea of birthing person with that doesn't, you know, they don't go together. So I just pointed that out. I just said, um, obstetric, you know, obstetric violence is violence against women. Um, it's women who are seen as the fragile sex basically just saying let's not let's not lose track here of 
you know, what I see as the the problem in birth, which is that you know women are giving birth in within a patriarchy um, where their you know their needs are not properly understood, their physiology is not properly understood, they're not properly respected, they're treated as vessels, they're treated as um, you know containers for the baby, um, they're told a healthy baby is all that matters, all of this stuff that I write and write and write about and written mm-hmm. books about. Um, and that was that was all I said. <laughs> um, I think obstetric violence is violence against women. So the somebody, the person who made the comment came back and said, obstetric violence can happen to trans people and non-binary people too. And I said, um, you know, well, in my view, it's it's part of violence against women. I mean, I'm using that with a kind of capital V A double. You know, violence against women, the big umbrella um, of, you know as a concept, not just with lowercase. Do you know what I mean? So um, I said, you know, if you want to say birthing people, that's up to you, but I think it's violence against women. And that's all I said. Um, And all hell broke loose. Mm -hmm. Um, My comments were screenshotted by um, somebody who's a doula um, and shared on uh, the Instagram stories that she had talking about how I was, you know, so horrific and violent and, it just went from there. It just became like a complete bin fire of Instagram stories and comments and people just going absolutely nuts over it. <laughs> the language that they use, as you show in your write-up, is it's just so... It's ridiculous. I, I mean, I can't suppress like a chuckle when these people are flipping out about language yeah. use. <laughs> Like it's like that's the most violent thing that could happen is somebody describing you in a way that you don't want to be described or or it's even probably it's even surrogate offendedness. They're probably offended on behalf of other people, which makes it even more weird. And yeah, but I think in a way, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think it, it I can see now why. It bothers people because even though um, I'm trying to talk about, you know, trying to discuss the concept of obstetric violence and the concept of violence against women and all that, what I've actually done there, rightly or wrongly, is I've got to the nub of, of, of this ideology because I've said, you know, there is such a thing as a woman and women are oppressed on the basis of their sex. And you're not allowed to have that view. That's the view that people are trying to stop you from having so in the birth world it's all everyone has to say women and birthing people all the time um and that then gets shortened quite often to birthing people but if you say women and birthing people which has almost become like another mantra that you have to you know if you say just women now you stick out if you're talking about you know if you're posting on social media or you're an organization that's supporting breastfeeding people or whatever yeah whatever you're doing anything to do with birth and breastfeeding you have to use this phrase and birthing people well if you do that you're without necessarily even realizing it you're admitting that there are two different types of person that can give birth there's a woman and there's a birthing person so you are undermining the definition as everybody understands it of the word woman you're saying some something some kind of person other than a woman can give birth a birthing person that birthing person isn't a woman. So you've taken the, uh, the definition of woman of, you know, adult human female, a female person with female physiology and female biology, and you've said they give birth and another kind of person gives birth as well. So I think that, you know, there's the pressure on people like me to change their language um, in that way is actually quite clever 
because it's all dressed up as inclusivity and it's, you know, everybody, and, and to begin with, that's how it seems. But actually, when you unpick it, you realize that your the words are being, the ideology is kind of being put into your mouth without you, re- without you necessarily noticing. You're saying, not everyone who gives birth is a woman. And in that sense, and I know that's true in some, if you use a different um, definition of woman, that is true. <laughs> but if you keep your, if you hold tight to the definition of woman as a, a female person um, with a female body, then it isn't true. The only person who gives birth is a woman, a female person. <laughs> the That phrase birthing person, doesn't that go in, at least start in the direction of reinventing woman as the vessel for the child isn't that like reinscribing this objectification or this uh i don't know this distance between the function uh of giving birth and that entire process and collection of biology and culture that goes into what a woman has to navigate um you know, being female for her whole life. And then uh, doesn't that kind of, it just kind of breaks woman apart, right? Is that why you want to keep woman, woman, so you can conceptualize something as more holistic? Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't work necessarily directly with um, anyone who's pregnant anyway, because I mainly am a writer. Um, But, uh, you know, in terms of midwifery, etc., I think it's really important that that they understand, you know, someone working as a midwife or a doula does have some competency in working with people who may not identify as being a woman and people who may want to be called other pronouns and all of that stuff. I think that's, you know, it's important because what I've always advocated for is individualized, respectful care for everybody. Um, So... But there's a difference between changing your language at an individual level and changing your language at a population level and changing your language in all the books and in all the websites and in all the organizations and in all the charitable objectives, which is what's happening. If you change it for the person who's sitting in front of you out of kindness and respect for how they want to live their life and their choices, that's I absolutely support that. And I know not everybody does, but I do. But if you change it on a grand scale, then you then you do change the definition of woman. Um, and maybe that's going to happen, but I don't think it should happen without discussion. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately discussion isn't allowed. (laughs) If you try and discuss it, you get very quickly shut down. Yeah. Well, what do you think is the impact or what would be the impact if you have imagined this, or you can imagine this on the spot of just throwing away the idea of woman and instituting this birthing person who may or may not identify as a woman what what would the fallout and the consequences of that be well i mean i think a lot of um women find that offensive so you know you're you're being inclusive to one group of people but you're excluding um large numbers of of people who like being called women um you know who maybe are proud to be women who maybe find you know without being sort of uh, biologically essential about it. You know, some women, um, especially women working in, in birth, for example, are really interested in female physiology and how cool it is, you know, and, and how, um, what, Hmm. you know, what, how powerful we are for what we can do with our bodies. Um, so if you take away that name, I think you're just alienating a whole bunch of people who are actually really thrilled to be female and to be a woman Hmm. um and you know you also 
take away um, the language um, with which we need to, to um, talk about what we need. So I, ha I had a really good example lined up for you um, that happened really recently, literally a week before I wrote my um, blog. So I'm just going to click away from you for a sec. So basically, I did a post um, on my positive birth movement um, Instagram where I showed a picture of a trajectory. It wasn't my video. Someone else had made it, and I regrammed it. And it, was sh it shows a picture of a very conventional birth room. And I know in America, you know, it's even more like this, you know, highly technologized, highly medicalized. And then um, it's like a montage kind of thing. And it has lots of other pictures of really nice, you know, dimly lit bathrooms with pools and, you know, sofas and cushions and low lighting and everything. <laughs> so I, I just captioned it. What do we want? Bathrooms with female physiology in mind. When do we want it now? Hashtag oxytocin, because that's the hormone that you need to make when you have a baby and you can't give birth without it. And sure enough, <laughs> within um, not very long, someone had commented, um, but how, how, blah, 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 how about bathrooms built with the birthing person's physiology in mind? Just a thought. <laughs> so what they're asking for there is for me not to, they're not even talking about the word woman, they're talking about the word female. So they're saying not to talk about female physiology, but to talk about birthing person's physiology. Well, that totally gets in your way when you're trying to change and improve birth. You know, we've got decades of um, women giving birth in environments that were built for the care provider, you know, forward slash for men. Women giving birth on a bed, on their back with their feet up in stirrups, that's not helpful for the woman. Who is it helpful for? It's helpful for the person attending them. It's helpful for traditionally the man, but and now also, you know, the midwife. It's helpful for the system. Um, women giving birth in very brightly lit rooms. Who's that helpful for? Not for the woman, because women produce oxytocin, the birth hormone, when they're in dimly lit spaces. Um, people coming and going all the time, checking, beeping, machines, etc. All of these things are for the the patriarchy, if you want to bring it down to that, or they're for the, the system, the care provider. We've had decades and decades and decades of this. And now finally, people like me and other people are coming along and saying, listen, this is crap. You know, you're, you're putting women in a position on a bed, on their back, in a brightly lit room, surrounded by strangers. And these women are struggling to give birth because their bodies are not designed to give birth in that environment, you know, because they're mammals. Um, and mm. then after they you know, have all these, have problems in their labor stalls, you know, the system comes in and rescues them with all these interventions. And then the system gives itself a great pat on the back and says, thank goodness we were here to help this, this poor woman whose body doesn't work very well. Hmm. So you can see how this is all kind of, you know, underpinned um, by, by feminist ideas, really. And so to challenge that, we need to be able to talk about female physiology. We need to be able to say, bathrooms, the bathroom, it's not that bathrooms haven't been built with people's physiology in mind. They haven't been built with women's physiology in mind. And women's physiology is different, you know. <laughs> hmm. um, but, you know, l literally had someone coming along to correct yeah. me, to tell me that I shouldn't say that. So it really takes away the language that we need to talk, to use to, mm -hmm. to, to change things. Mm -hmm. The 
Uh, well, I it gets. I guess it's not ridiculous because they take it so seriously, but they also use menstruating person or menstruators. So yeah. the, the entire life cycle of the female is now being cloaked in this non-gendered language, I guess. And it might be the case, just to do some devil's advocacy, it might be the case that we, in our generation and, and in our upbringing, have a romantic attachment to the idea of the woman. And there's nothing really lost if we kind of disassemble all those different crusty patriarchal uh, uh, power structures that are built into gender, right? If you, if we mm-hmm. if we're going to go against the patriarchy, we might as well do it linguistically and culturally as well as physiologically, and just reconceptualizing uh, from the ground up what people are doing and what they are um, by what they do. They're menstruators. I guess a man would be an ejaculator, but you don't really hear that that often. Um, no, and that's interesting, isn't it? Why don't you? Why are men not being pressured to change their language? Well, because uh, we don't have celebrations of, of ejaculation, um, like marches through streets or, or like French towns being taken over by, you know, like a day of ejaculation. Like they you do want to, speech. though. <laughs> <laughs> the consequences for that are beyond what any of us want to deal with. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting that the uh, this very female space um, that's, I don't even know, like, what is it? Ninety nine percent of birthing workers are female, right? Uh, other than Pretty the much, yeah. doctors, the entire industry. Um, yeah. It's a, and especially on Instagram, I'm sure it's mostly women. Yeah. Even the even if obstetricians and doctors don't tend to hang around on Instagram much, no. Yeah. Uh, so it is really interesting that this meme or this uh, meme complex has really moved in to a female oriented uh, domain and is using very intense tactics to recreate the entire language. But the question is, what is really lost? Um, and you've hit on that, but what if if we have that term of woman? It seems to me that we can conceptualize this entire lifespan of it and not just cut the woman up into menstruation, birth, menopausal person. I don't know if they mm-hmm. have gone in that direction, but the entire so all much, the things no. that that women go through um, are encapsulated by woman. So you can actually start to speak about the woman as an entity in time with this, with miniature cycles and grand cycles that are all a part of the same person and impact the woman. And you can have a, it seems to me uh, on a linguistic or a storytelling level to be much better to think of the female reproductive system as belonging to the woman rather than the woman belonging to the female reproductive system by calling Mm. her a menstruator or a birthing person. Yeah. So you're kind of saying what's to be lost if we just ditch the word woman and just, I mean, is that what you're asking? Well, if that's the end game, I'm just trying to conceptualize what they ultimately want to do as communicators. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I guess that's what I'm trying to say with my last point. This, this has already happened. You know, we haven't spoken about women's bodies and women's um, unique um, biological experiences and women's physiology enough. 
And I find it, you know, a very interesting coincidence that suddenly we are starting to talk about, you know, in the last 10 years, there's been a real uprising of women, you know, for example, showing their menstrual blood on Instagram or showing their pubes hanging out the side of their bikinis, you know, and and saying, (laughs) you know, or showing birth videos or showing their breast milk, you know, and, 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 you know, talking about the clitoris and, you know, being out there sort of saying, hey, you know, we want to re sort of almost reclaiming um, some pride and some power in their female biology. Hmm. Um, And because we've had decades and decades and centuries where women's women, a man was what a person was, you know, mankind, you know, um, was the default. Um, And and also, you know, it was incredibly taboo for women to discuss their their biological lives, you know, um, and the functions of their bodies. And there was so much shame attached to them and so much almost disgust. And all of that comes with women, even modern women like me. You know, every time we look in the mirror naked, every time we give birth, every time we have a period or whatever, we still have some of that um, negativity around our bodies. Most women will describe that. So we've, we're finally just tipping, beginning to tip that balance into saying, no, we want to talk about our bodies. We want to show you what our bodies do. We want to be, you know, we might, we might still hate getting our periods, but we want to show you what it looks like. We don't want to see blue blood on the tampon adverts. All of that stuff was happening. And now suddenly, bam, um, we can't talk about those things anymore because hmm. they are, you know, I mean, literally someone has told me my website is just about me and my books. It, I mean, and I've had someone on Twitter tell me that my website is transphobic. I mean, how? It's like, when they said that, I thought, well, like, my existence is transphobic then, because I'm just, you know, I'm just a woman who writes about birth, breastfeeding, motherhood, periods. I, you know, I can't, I can't escape from the potential of being transphobic just through my very existence, really. Hmm. So... Yeah. So no, it, it, think- that makes sense why they would want to end your existence, at least uh, communicatively. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so th- there does seem to be so much misogyny embedded in all of this, doesn't there? Uh, well, you know- the, the, the only I have to push back against that because it's especially in this domain, it's women who are enforcing this. I mean, in other domains, you have... Um, you have some very intense males who identify as women who are doing a lot of very misogynistic things, such as in, uh, taking over women's sports and uh, you know taking over women's spaces. But this is a very specifically woman space. Women being mean to other women or women controlling other women, I don't think that that's properly construed as misogynistic classically unless you uh, redevelop or expand the term to not really mean men against women, but women against women. It might be some sort of misogyny, but but it's a different type. I think it's a different type than coming from a male. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people jokingly talk about handmaidens, don't they? And they say, you know, this is, you know, they are women, but they are doing the work of the patriarchy nevertheless. Mm. Um, Whether or not they realize it, um, I don't know. But I Mm. think, you know, if you're bringing down another woman, you know, I'm I'm not trying to like sort of make myself sound like some kind of saint or or martyr or anything. But, you know, I've, I've spent 10 years trying to improve birth for women. You know, I've run an organization which made very little money, but was just done through 
passion and um, mm. through not wanting to see women come to the other side of birth traumatized, which they do in their droves. Mm. Um, you know, and I've, 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 I'm not a bad person, you know, so you think what, what would be motivating a group of women to want to sort of really, really annihilate and destroy a person like me who, you know, has tried really hard to do positive things in the world and to, to improve other women's lives. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Is there something going on there? I mean, is there something in women's nature that makes them sort of inherently just unkind and, you know, dis disposed towards tearing each other down? Uh, or is that just something that we've learned how to do in order to kind of like distract ourselves and stop our hmm. own progress <laughs> so that men can carry on, hmm. you know, not being called ejaculators? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, I think that there's um, just in, speaking with many uh, many females on this and also just having a lot of conversations around sexual dimorphism and evolutionary biology and all the different systems that uh, are embedded in males and females biologically as well as evolutionarily as well as culturally i think that there's always i think there's a problem with uh there's a tendency with certain words to uh, do more work than they should such as misogyny and patriarchy if you're not really careful mm -hmm. in defining them they're just cudgels and they're covering up a lot of really interesting material so i think like yeah. just just studying why do women police other women why is there you know, just the trope of the mean girl um and mm -hmm. the way that women police other women in order to get um uh, to control uh, their resources of access to males or whatever, uh, just saying that it's misogyny and patriarchy is like, well, what is what was really going on in there? I think it. That's why I just bring it up, not to argue yeah. or anything. But no, that's fair enough. Um, and I think you know another thing that that is going on is actually um, you know people trying to do the right thing. Um, I think many people have been you know, have made the connection or been given the connection between what's happening now and, you know, gay rights and mm. the whole idea of being on the wrong side of history. Nobody mm. wants to be that person who is, you know, fighting against another person's rights, um, you know, to be accepted. Yeah. Um, and the birth world is also full of people who are very kind, um, you know, uh, people who want to do the right thing and who motivated want to help. by care and empathy yeah. and sympathy and, and passionate for those things. Yeah. So they, they are no doubt thinking, well, this is the right thing to do because all I have to do is just say, I'm birthing people after women. And that's all that, you know, is really required. And why would you not do that? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But because you're hateful, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. So there's there's what we're talking about now with um, the way in which language is being policed, the way that you were treated, which is just it, it's awful, but it's just ridiculously awful. It's just it's a parody of awfulness for some reason. Mm -hmm. But there's also your actual work and everything that you've developed and researched and where you're going next with uh, I, I read that you were writing a book about menstruation uh, for young girls. So you are still invested in carrying the topic forward of women's lives. Yeah. Well, that book is actually done and it's coming out in like three weeks time. Um, oh. So I'm not working on any book at the moment and I'm very much kind of like, you know, 
you know, they say a fisherman is still a fisherman when they're mending their nets. So uh -huh. <laughs> I'm kind of mending my nets at the moment and mm -hmm. just sort of seeing how this all shakes down and thinking about what to okay. do next. But I have to be honest, um, a big part of me, especially for the past sort of six months to a year, has felt like I don't want to be in this world anymore. Uh, not mm. the whole world, obviously. <laughs> don't, don't panic. I mean, in the world of, uh, <laughs> you know, women's bodies. Um, you know, I've been thinking about writing fiction or doing something completely different, you know, really, like buying an ice cream van and, you know, driving around, you know, something just totally different because I just think it is just, it is unbelievable at the moment in, you know, like for example, in the past couple of weeks, the, you know, since I told my story, I've had this massive outpouring of support. I've had JK Rowling tweeting about me. I've had every single feminist I admire getting in touch with me and supporting me. I've had my Twitter following going up by about 10,000 people. I've had thousands of emails, messages of all these amazing people supporting me. And it, that has been amazing. But way back in the birth world, they're still all fighting about me and there's all these posts still being made about what a terrible person I am. And, you know, it's just like, I just feel like, well, I just really kind of hang up my hat there, really, and just say, well, I can't, I don't mm. think I can, I can't write. It's difficult to know what I can write about in terms of women's bodies without this issue following me. Because mm. if you don't conform um, in the world of sort of birth, breastfeeding, maternity periods, etc., and you don't use the right language, then you just, I don't think it's possible to keep going, really. Hmm. it is it's huge it's a like well they call it capture don't they i mean it's just yeah. everybody is doing it and if you don't do it then you stick yeah. out like a sore thumb well there, there's still women out there that need to understand what it is to be a woman there's still um like with regards to developing women in this day and age being given the non-binary and the ability to change how they identify there's a number of young girls who are identifying out of womanhood because they don't want to deal with being a woman and not just, uh, let's say, let's just take f just for this example, let's take misogyny and sexual harassment off the table just for now. And just the fact of having to bleed every month, the fact of the body development, the growth development. And so there's a lot of information that could do a lot of good for women to make peace and to embrace this wonderful, uh, terrible journey that they're thrust upon. Mm. As well, that's experience. why I was, yeah, really, really excited to do this book that I've done for, you know, for preteen girls, because, you know, I think, you know, I did this workshop a few years ago with this amazing Australian woman called Jane Hardwick Collings. And, you know, it was all about, um, she got used to, to sort of think about your first period and, and, also think about, you know, the, the stories that your mum told you, your grandmother told you, like, what had you heard about birth? What had you heard about periods? And how was your first period? And how did you feel about it? And we did all this stuff together. And it was so fascinating, because she then talked about, you know, she then got you to think about what, how did you feel when you got pregnant, you know, as an adult, um, you know, how did you feel about giving birth? And it really made me join up the dots. And, you know, obviously, it's so obvious, you know, that there are there are connections between all these things, but we tend to think of them as like very separate in a way. Um, so it made me realize how, you know, when we when we come to give birth, you know, what she said, and I completely I think she's got such an amazing point here is that when we come to give birth, a lot of the damage has been done is, you know, we, we 
uh, you know, with my books, you know, I might say to a woman, oh, you know, she might be 35 or something and pregnant for the first time, you know, or oh, read this book about having a positive birth. But she's already got like 20 years or more of negative, potentially, I'm not saying every woman, but a lot of women have a lot of negative feelings around the functions of their body um, and, you know, hmm. their own kind of, their own mammalian kind of properties, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, how they feel about how their bodies look and all of these things um, come with you into the birth room um, and they run really, really deep. So I think hmm. writing a book that's that's coming in early for sort of a nine or a 10 year old girl and saying, Hey, your body's really cool. It does all these really cool things. And, you know, it's not, it's not sugaring the pill. It's not saying, Oh, it's always amazing, but it's saying, you know, let's flip this and, and reframe it and kind of try and think about why is this, you know, why is this interesting? Why is it, why is it good to be a girl? But, you know, I even asked that question on Twitter once, why it, what's good about being a, a woman and God, me, it was like, <laughs> what a can of worms, you know, it's just, what it's, did you get? What did you get in response? <laughs> what is well, just just people, some people even messaging me privately, I think, to say, I, I'd like to answer your question, but I'm worried to answer it, um, you know, because, you know, it's what, because then you have to ask, what does it mean to be a woman? And okay. then you get into this d- difficult territory again. Yeah. Um, well, it, it just goes back to the fact that this new language regime is actually anti-communication it's a new regime of communication that stops people from speaking um and i don't and like i mentioned calling uh distancing the woman from her menstruation from her birth and her menopause is already doing harm and conceptualizing a holistic version of like psychologically integrating all of the difficulties and the miracles of that entire process it's already chopping up a woman but also this regime is stopping women from speaking about being a woman, which is the only thing that will make this better being a woman. I'm not the only thing, but I can see that more and more communication about women by women for women will do a lot to alleviate some of the stress and negativity of being a woman by women. Yeah. I mean, but I, I mean, maybe that is why I'm in the firing line because that's kind of been part of a big part of my sort of public identity for the past Mm. nearly 10 years has been about reframing what it means to be a woman. Mm -hmm. I have been, you know, my first book is called the positive birth book and the organization that I've been running is called the positive birth movement. And all the stuff I've been doing has been saying, you know, why are we just saying, Oh yeah, birth's going to be really awful. We're going to be really traumatized. It's going to be really crap. We just have to get through it. We just have to lie back and think of England kind of thing. Why are we accepting, you know, this idea that we just, we just sort of suffer it and then it's over and then we try to forget it. Okay. Um, why can't we have a positive experience? You know, why can't birth be something that makes us feel powerful? Why can't birth be something that makes us feel strong, makes us feel healthy? Um, you know, makes, and you know, some of the stuff I've written, you know, I've talked to women who have had really, really amazing births and they find it transformative. They find that it changes everything for them in terms of, you know, a complete line and that, that, you know, before and after kind of thing. So after they have, they feel they have more confidence in their bodies. They feel they're, you know, they have more confidence in the workplace. They feel more powerful in their sex lives. They feel, you know, they feel really, really good about, parenting and being a mum, they, you know, they, they take a lot of the the power of birth forward into the rest of their lives. These are people mm. who have positive birth experiences. Um, 
whereas, you know, obviously people that have um, difficult traumatic births, you know, that also stays with them for the rest of their lives. So I've, I've spoken to women in their 70s and 80s who've still had tears in their eyes about hmm. the day, you know, the, the things that happened to them when they had their babies. So, yeah, maybe they're coming after me because I have tried to do that. I have tried to say, actually, being a woman doesn't suck. Being a woman is actually really pretty good <laughs> and, you know, mm. quite powerful and exciting and interesting. Um, so I kind of put myself out there without realizing it. I've stepped into a real minefield. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem like you meant to do that. <laughs> what, is, what, what are some of the preconditions for a positive birth that you found in your research? Well, I mean, it's it's a hundred percent about how you know. It's one of the preconditions possible. That's a really good question. I think it's about how you f- feel going into it. So one thing that happens to women is they're told, "Oh, it's just pot luck." You know, it's like you get what you get. So there's no point doing any preparation. You know, just turn up and you know just go with the flow. Um, and I think my message has always been, you know, to you know, do some homework, do some preparation. Don't be afraid to put yourself at the center of the experience. Um, I think some people feel, oh, that's really selfish. If I say, you know, I want this and I want that, you know, people have even used the phrases like birthzilla and, you know, birth diva and that kind of thing. But, you know, why not? It's, it's hmm. really, really important that you have the best possible chance of having a positive experience. Um, you know, so putting yourself forward and saying, this is how I'd like things to be taking charge, knowing that you have choices, being at the center of decision-making is really important. Um, and a lot of women don't realize um, that they have a voice in the birth room. It's very, um, you know, it's very infantilizing even now, even in the 21st century, even when we have, you know, other areas of our lives where we wouldn't dream of, of being told what to do or infantilized in this way. As soon as we're pregnant, it seems like it's okay for someone else to take charge of everything, not really properly inform you about the decisions, mm-hmm. not really properly have your consent for what's happening, you know, and just kind of like, you know, treat you as a sort of side uh, product of, of what's going on. Okay. So all of these things are what make makes birth positive. And it isn't about having a home birth or a water birth or a natural birth, although many women do want that. And many women who do want that are not currently getting it because medicalization is going constantly going up and up and up. Hmm. Um, but you know, even in cesarean birth, you know, there are lots of things, you know, there is an expression which probably isn't allowed anymore called woman centered cesarean. Um, so it's probably called uh, or mother centered cesarean, which probably also isn't allowed anymore, but you know, putting, having, um, thinking about what does the woman want in a situation? What's going to be nice her again what's not what's helpful for the clinicians but what's helpful for her music playing um Mm. having skin to skin straight away after the baby's born all of those kinds of things um so yeah just all of that stuff really just women knowing that they have rights choices options and being at the center of the decision making being the most powerful person in the room Hmm. that's positive birth and with your new book what's your uh, forthcoming uh, book called it's called my period that's all my my period find your flow and be proud of your period i think it's called 
Yeah. <laughs> is that taking the kind of the same stance on uh, giving women cognitive control over their bodies, like some sort of understanding and overstanding of what's going on? And does that kind of you, you kind of intimated that that would lead up to positive birth because it's um, yeah. the woman is over her body in some state. What's the attitude that you're trying to imbue into young girls? Well, I think it's just, um, yeah, that, that, you know, your body is kind is amazing. Um, and also that you can, um, listen to your body. Um, and hmm. you know, your menstrual, when you get taught about periods at school, I mean, and I don't know if you ever were in any of those lessons, but I was, they, tend- they were, we went, <laughs> we had ejaculation club, uh, in, in yeah. the <laughs> I don't want to know, but anyway, they, they tend to be, um, you know, very sort of clinical, like, you know, well, you bleed once a month. Um, this is what you can use. This is a pad. This is a tampon. Um, off you go kind of thing. So it's not a very holistic view of, of periods. Um, periods are just part of a menstrual cycle. And it took me until I was definitely in my thirties, I think, until I really understood, um, or maybe my late twenties that, you know, I, that I had a whole cycle rather than just a period. So, and it's really interesting if you start to tune into your cycle um, to think about ways that you can make it work for you. So, for example, you know, if I mean, I didn't know that you could tell when you were ovulating. Nobody ever told me that. Um, and it's, you tend to get given that information sometimes if you're trying to conceive uh, or struggling to conceive. But it all it's all around reproduction. There's no um, there's a big knowledge gap. Mm-hmm. Um, about, you know, ovulation in terms of well, what else does it do? What's, what, you know, how else, it, why else is it important to know about it? Not just for getting pregnant. Um, it's really useful to know that you have this cycle and that, you know, to, to learn about your own body, um, your period and your menstrual cycle can be a really good indicator of your overall health. Mm. So, you know, you can tune into it that way. Um, you can work out, well, this is the day every month when I always feel really shit. And so therefore I'm going to make sure that I've got stuff in place for that day where I, you know, take care of myself not making you know, huge is, decisions on that day or something exactly like that. you know it's like you know when you realize oh at 11 like for me at 11 a.m every day i'm i should never like make a decision or get in a state about anything because i need something to eat you know so it's that sort of yeah. and it took me quite a long time as an adult before i realized that you know and i'm sure i had quite a lot of hissy fits in my 20s where probably if someone had just given me a sandwich i would have <laughs> <laughs> i would have calmed straight down but you know so it's about yeah. le- it's just learning about yourself isn't it and and that yeah. learning about your body can be really helpful um in so many ways so yeah i was speaking with a close colleague of mine uh sasha ayad who's a uh, licensed professional counselor but she deals a lot with uh gender questioning youth but we just have this friendship. We talk a lot and she was just talking about how nobody really talks about the menstrual cycle and how powerful it is over cognition, how she'll look at the world completely differently depending on where she is in her, her uh, journal or her journey. And she didn't really recognize that until she started. Somebody gave her like a period journal or something like that or something like a menstrual. And then she just started seeing these patterns of herself. uh, And then she started being able to manage herself. Yeah, absolutely. And that's in my period book for for 10 year olds as well. There's, There's a little chart. So you fill it in every day and you chart yourself, your feelings and your flow and all of that through the, through the month. Um, you know, and I think, you know, even it's great to do things like that because, you know, it's good to have insight into yourself, even if 
you know, it takes a while. It's not, it's not necessarily always black and white and straightforward. Like on this day, I feel great, but yeah. still it's, it's about tuning in and saying my body is part of me and it affects who I am. And I also think, you know, as you know, only too well that young girls need positive messages about their bodies right now. Mm-hmm. They need to be told, you know, to, to, they need an injection of positivity around what it is to be a girl and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to feel, you know, that whole idea of reframing, you know, what's good about this, you know, well, what is good about having a period? What is, what is interesting about being a girl and what is different about it and what is special about it? Um, and, you know, again, not to kind of like try and whitewash it and make it out to be this, you know, rosy, um, trip down you know <laughs> flowery meadow but yeah you know there's going to some be something good about it in, in the way as well. yeah well I, I just giving birth is set as well giving birth is yeah. really hard and it really hurts <laughs> i've heard also one of the most incredible things that you'll ever do so you know it's okay to reclaim some of that and say you know mm-hmm. there are positive things about this this is this is a cool thing that i can do and you, you know women mm. can do it and men can't yeah i I, I understand the, the amount of pressure and the uh, like doing the calculation of whether or not it's worth speaking about this, but I do have to say that there's a big need for people in your position to continue to do the work that you're doing. And I also think that you should fill out the trilogy and do one on menopause, but maybe you're not ready to do that, but it seems like it's just like... Oh. <laughs> Getting you gotta, there, do, it. But, you gotta um, do all the, the whole thing i don't know yeah yeah i mean it's interesting isn't it that menopause doesn't seem to be um under under so much pressure to change and i wonder if that's just because it isn't maybe as as great as some of the others mm. well <laughs> the, the woke haven't aged into that domain yet so w- once they get up there if they're still woke i'm sure that they'll start to try to maybe. change the language around it Maybe, but is it? Do you think it's also a little bit about sort of fetishizing kind of young girls and and youthful bodies that, that mm. and fertile bodies rather than? And does anybody want to identify as a menopausal woman, or would they rather identify as a as a as a girl, pretty young girl? Uh, there's you, that question is really big, and I think a lot of exploration can go into the way that our uh, society um, favors youth and um, lifts that up to the detriment of actually grokking the elderly and that process of life. And at least in America, we kind of shove that into these homes and get it, get it away from us, and we don't really think yeah. about it until it's upon us. Mm. Mm. True. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm I'm going to disappear, but I, I'm just saying I think that I have felt like disappearing and that I do mm. sometimes wonder where where my line through this is, and I'm yeah. still figuring that out, really. Do um, you have any uh, midnight musings on, on a new possibility? Or you said something about fiction. Well, yeah, I mean, I've actually been doing a course in... <laughs> In historical fiction ah. but over the past couple of weeks with all of this stuff going on i have to admit i have been pretty yeah. useless at that as well so um it's about deciding which basket to put your eggs in really isn't it and yeah, uh, yeah. i haven't quite got to that yet no i'm just uh, at the moment i'm just letting what's happening happen and just okay. you know tuning into the response and just having a think i mean it would be really interesting to write a book about about some of these issues maybe but i know other people are doing that really well um too so it's about finding your own sort of you know mm-hmm. your own 
space in that really. And yeah, I'm just thinking about it already and just, just seeing what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm still not, I still don't feel a hundred percent confident. That I haven't really damaged myself, um, through mm. speaking about all this. Um, certainly you're speaking career wise, not your brain. You haven't oh, yeah. damaged your well, mind. Have no, you? hopefully yeah. not. Okay. But uh, <laughs> only time will tell. Uh, that's just through the drink. But uh, <laughs> but um, no, I think you know it's it's certainly it's been very it's there have been a lot of people um, sort of I, I think it would be very difficult if there wasn't a pandemic on and there were sort of conferences at the moment that were about you know birth. I think people would find it hard to to put me on the platform at the moment. So mm-hmm. like I said, outside of the birth world, I've had a lot of support within the birth world. My name is pretty pretty much mud so hmm. is that going to have an impact on you know things like my book sales quite possibly um hmm. but i'm i'm kind of at peace with that now because i feel like it's more important to be truthful about what's happening and i also think it's just really important to talk about this you know the the language and you know the the bullying that's that's gone on um towards not just me but obviously loads of other women um and you know to just to, to say well I want to talk about this. You know, I want there to be a conversation about this. I don't necessarily want everyone to agree with me, but I don't think it should be a situation where anyone who has an alternative perspective isn't allowed to ask questions and get silenced. Mm-hmm. You know, I got told off for, um, in the uh, past, um, I asked a question about the term assigned at birth. Well, you know, that's something that, you know, is part of my world. It's like, well, I, I, I've, it never in my experience have I understood that that's the way you know, people find out about their baby sex, you know, they find out about their baby sex during prenatal tests and scans, not at birth. So it's, it's not factual from that point of view. Oh, okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's not assigned either. It's, um, it's observed. observed so yeah. yeah, it's, it's not assigned linguistically implies something that's given to you from an ex somebody external rather than something that's innate. So I think there's things like that, that we need to, you know, people who are working in this field need to be able to have conversations about it, you know, and, uh, you know, just ask, well, who chose this terminology and why? Um, and if in the end it turns out that I, my view is, you know, discredited and then that's kind of okay, because I think that's part of how we progress, isn't it? By discussing things and listening to each other and not shutting each other down. Mm. Yeah, in certain more radical circles, uh, they use coercively assigned X or Y at birth. So it, it goes even further. Say it again, coercively assigned. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't want to be, they didn't want, they didn't choose to be the, the sex that the world has put upon them. So they were coercively assigned this sex. And, you know, uh, they go they go even further with that. Wow, coercively. That's that's really an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Gosh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um but the the thing is it's just it it is really fascinating that this way of control the the language itself and then the way that the language is being rolled out is doing so much harm to discourse and so much harm to being able to think clearly and to speak openly about a very pressing issue um that is uh the plot of 50% of humanity, uh, you know, just mm. the fact of being a female. Um, and uh, while I'm in yeah. no ways glad that you have been pummeled or all the, all your difficulties that you go through, I don't, uh, I'm not 
happy for that. But I am, I'm glad that you have stood your ground and are speaking out. And every person who does speak out, it, it just pushes just a tiny bit other people to start speaking out too. And like you know, there's much more people in the DMs agreeing with you than, than there are people in the timelines uh, trying to destroy you. Um, we just need to somehow flip yeah. that. Yeah. Um, that is 100% why I decided to speak out because, because I felt the power of these other voices that came before me, you know, giving me confidence and, and you know, propelling me forwards um so and i i wanted to be one of those people for somebody else um and it's you know it's a shame that people still feel like they can only support me privately um you know there's been quite a few um you know people from the birth world who said well i just can't i can't support you publicly um you know but weirdly there's this group on there's this group on social media that's full of um people people who work in birth who are all you know fairly gender critical uh, it's a secret group and you know it's quite big there's like, <laughs> loads of people in there so the kind of the joke in that group is that eventually everyone will be in the group and like the whole the rest of the world that will be emptied out of <laughs> huh. and it's still well, be a secret like don't tell anyone we're all in this group <laughs> <laughs> so how can people support you really? then yeah, well, buy my books and tell tell other people about my books, and you know that's for me. Writing is what I love to do and what I'm pr- most proud of. Um, so yeah, just send me nice messages. I I have appreciated every single one of the nice messages that I got because you know when when I was being piled on in November, it was really hard, and for a long time I was really tearful a lot of the time, and you know it really dragged me down. It's mm. not been the easiest of you know, years for everybody anyway, has it with this pandemic. And, you know, when you have something like that happen as well, and, you know, like I've said to to people, you know, when you're in the middle of a situation like that, it seems so dystopian that you don't actually know what's going to happen next. So Mm. although now with hindsight, I can see, okay, so it blew up, it lasted a few weeks, and then it calmed down again. At the time when it's blowing up, you just don't know how it's going to, what's going to happen next. And I was really frightened that I was going to get a cause from people like publishers or, you know, things like things were going to get worse, you know, and as it happened, they didn't get worse, but at the time you don't know that. So it's quite traumatic. So all of that and all that sort of upset, you know, it's very healing to now have Mm. so many people coming to me, people who are total strangers, just emailing me the most lovely, lovely emails and, and messages on Twitter and stuff. And just, I've literally hardly had any horrible messages at all. I know everyone says women who speak out get attacked. But, I mean, I had one stupid guy send me this silly little thing saying, you know, die or whatever. But it, it, I wouldn't describe it as a death threat. It was just one silly comment. Um, it didn't make me feel threatened. It just struck me as somebody trying to intimidate me. But, you know, apart from that, it's been just an absolute wave of positivity. And that has really been so lovely because hmm. I, you know, when you're attacked like that, you do start to doubt yourself. <laughs> sort of thing. Well, maybe yeah. it's, uh, this is a secret that I've kept from myself, you know, that I'm actually a really awful person. And I didn't really <laughs> notice it until now, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it, it well, plugs into your kind of low, your low self-esteem areas and, yeah. and it's not very nice. Yeah. Well, that's why it works. That's why people do it because it can control, uh, people, uh, at least in the short yeah. term. Yeah. 
Yeah. But absolutely. welcome to the cancel club, Millie. <laughs> it's fun over here. We have punch. We have streamers. Yeah. Well, it's it, you know it's even more fun once you talk about it because then you can't be cancelled anymore. You know, I think it's that's the that's just so the best thing to do. And I would say that to anybody else who's feeling like they're being sort of bullied into silence is just talk about it because they actually can't. I know it's hard. Different people are in different situations, and you know, people don't want to lose their jobs or have their businesses ruined or anything. But yeah, in yeah. some ways, it's quite difficult to to really ruin someone's business. So I think you should just you know. Join the cancel club. Well, the, their um, this particular uh, mode of social control, this cancellation uh, stuff, it 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 doesn't last long. It's really strong in the first act or two, but mm-hmm. after so many people get canceled, nobody can take these people seriously anymore. They they burn out all of their authority and uh, trust, yeah. public trust, um, yeah. because they just cancel one person after another, after another, after another, and nobody's going to trust them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the majority of people can see it for what it is. And again, that's the perspective that you can't necessarily see when you're in the thick of it. You yeah. feel like everyone is saying horrible things about you, but you know, I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere in a little village, so it's quite nice for me to walk down the road and just, you know, I remember doing it at the time and just thinking, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. They've never heard of this person. You know, you have to remind yourself that the world is a very big place and that this yeah. tiny little group that are having a go at you are not, you know, they're, they're not on, you know, the news at 10. They're just on yeah. this little tiny Instagram account and, you yeah. know, not everyone, hardly anyone knows about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your evening, a slice of your evening. I will link everybody to your website and your books, and they can learn more about being female uh, if they're not already a female, or learn more about being a female as a female uh, with yep, uh, your books way. on birthing and, and menstruation. And uh, with, with your book, uh, My Period, um, is yep. going to be out in about three weeks then, uh, mid yeah, August. August the 19th, it comes out. Oh, and okay. Yeah. In the UK it. and the US or just the UK? That is a very good question. And I don't know the answer. But okay. Well, as out. soon as the leak is, link is live, I'll link it in the description. That's really kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, you can get it from any bookshop, hopefully. Uh, it should be fairly widespread. So, yeah. And, and if anyone's listening to this and they're interested in feminism, then, you know, don't feel like um, you have to be uh, pregnant to read my second book, Give Birth Like a Feminist. Um, mm. I really would love it if, if more people read that who, you know, it's not just a pregnancy book. It's a book that every everyone should read, anyone who cares about women and bodily autonomy and feminism. And, you know, it, I just really feel like birth is, is an overlooked feminist issue. There's so many women coming through to the other side of birth feeling quite mm. damaged by that experience. And we're all just accepting it. Many of us are just sort of thinking, oh, that's just what birth is like. So that that book is an important book, I think, to sort of challenge that and say, can this be different? Can this be better? Should, shouldn't this be better for women? Yeah. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.